0: You are listening to the Startup Playground. Show where I invite entrepreneurs, startup founders, and game changers to talk about their success stories, learn from their mistakes, and hear about their interesting experiences. Hey listener, my name is Elvis and I'm the host of this show. And today we're going to talk about the bicycle culture. As many of you know, bicycles are one of the most popular human transportation vehicles in the world. And if someone is talking about bicycles, Denmark has always been among the top countries where this type of transportation is highly evolved and is part of every Danes lifestyle. In the 1930s, the bicycle became a widespread symbol of equality and freedom in Denmark. Therefore, to understand this phenomenon, I have decided to invite actual Copenhagener whose passion is his business. His name is Oliver Emil Anderson, 27-year-old bicycle explorer from Copenhagen and a founder of Behind Handlebars. And every day he documents his life Behind Handlebars on his Instagram page called Behind Handlebars. From what started a simple idea for a photo project, it has now turned into a business and a community of cyclists that travel the world and experience new places. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Elvis. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming by again. Yeah, again. How are you doing today? I am doing very great, thank you. It's a lovely Monday, right? Yeah, I,
1: I mean, it could have been worse. we had some good weather. So uh, yeah, could have been a lot worse. Are you a Monday person? I don't know. I've started to, like, when I started doing this kind of, like, business kind of thing, like when you have something that you love doing, like I'm fortunate to have. Like, I think Monday is good. Like, it's a good start to, to a new week, and I like that. I like the weekdays, maybe more than the, the weekend sometimes, because I'm very bad at, at not working sometimes. So it's good. Are you workaholic? I don't know. No, maybe a bit. I mean, there's always something to do. And uh, I mean, my project is a lot involved with just taking pictures as well. And there's a lot of like social media and Instagram and Facebook and events. And like, so a lot of that stuff happens also like outside of the regular, like nine to five schedule in the social media, th- uh, social media sphere, we're we always
0: working kind of. That's true. Yeah. I think nowadays, since social media exists, we work 24-7, yeah, 365, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Entrepreneurship. Three words. What do you describe them in? Um, I'd say um,
1: passion. I think is important. I'd say disruption
0: and perseverance.
1: Maybe I'd say I think that's important too.
0: Perseverance. Can yeah. you explain, can you elaborate on that. Yeah, I think it.
1: I mean, it comes a lot from my like personal experience. When you're an entrepreneur or you're engaging in the startup world, you gotta get beaten a lot. Like there's gonna be so many like bumps along the way especially in the beginning, like I can imagine the first like couple of years that you have a startup in any kind of industry, like it's very, very difficult to like sustain a living, but also just like take the small victories along the way. So you just have to keep at it and believe in what you do, believe in your passion that tied it together very nicely. And uh, yeah, and eventually like if you if you keep at it and you think what you're doing is right,
0: eventually it's going to turn around into something positive, I think.
1: And that's why it's so important to that, be persistent
0: about what you do. So you have to be dedicated in, in whatever or not you're doing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. And it's 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 hard to be an entrepreneur nowadays, you know, since a lot of things been invented and you're just, you know, mm. kinda wrapping your brain around or mind around some things that you're like, okay, how should I approach this thing and how should I approach this thing and how, what is the consumer thinking and how, what they want and yeah, it's true. But I mean, on the other hand, I also think it has never been easier to be an entrepreneur.
1: You just have to have the right mindset to do it. I mean, you have all of these, especially in Denmark, supporting mechanisms to make it really easy to be an entrepreneur. And uh, it's just easy to easy to do. And we have like this perfect information in almost any industry. So it's very, very easy to gain access to insights into competitors, for example, or markets or governments or different environments like to give yourself a good head start if you are dedicated enough to do it instead of just like launching something into the dark and see where it hits you but of course that also like that also means that you have complete information about all the competitors and all the guys that are doing
0: better than you and that can like ultimately take you down as well so it's a two edged sword really <laughs> do you think it's uh, as you mentioned in, be- in a- before you said it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur do you think it's because of the wide web and the uh information provided by a lot of other entrepreneurs or why it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur yeah i think one thing is that you have access to all the information that you can like you can really do your homework and
1: position yourself already before you even do anything you can position yourself really really good in comparison to your competitors or in a certain markets to make yourself available for the consumers But on the other hand, like, for example, in in my industry, like I make uh, posters of my pictures, for example, and like 10 years ago, you'd have to go into a professional photo studio and get them printed, put them in frames, get the right lighting, get a photographer, like do everything to take those like product pictures. Like in our day and age, you don't have to do that anymore. You can do anything like just online, which makes it really, really easy to be an entrepreneur. Because for example, I don't have to have a specific product. I don't have to have a print of my poster before I can sell it because I can make it just as good as a real thing like maybe even better just by knowing just a little bit about computers or getting in touch with someone that knows that area of expertise and i think that's very valuable like you could do so much for yourself and even if you can't do it you can easily learn it like thanks to youtube and facebook and like everything it's so easy to obtain
0: any kind of information i truly agree with that yeah what can you tell me more about yourself, basically? Where are you from? I mean, I already told you are from Copenhagen, but and yeah. you're 27 years old. Yeah, but...
1: yeah I mean, uh, I am from Copenhagen. I'm uh, born and raised in a suburb to Copenhagen within the municipality of Copenhagen called Potshoy, in a nice little house with my family out there. Very comfy. I studied here at uh, Copenhagen Business School. We're sitting currently on Copenhagen School of Entrepreneurship, which is uh, situated at Copenhagen Business School. I have a bachelor from here in Asian Studies program in Chinese, actually, which is pretty far away from uh, what I'm doing now. And right now, I'm studying a master's in Strategic Design Entrepreneurship, which I am really looking forward to being done with in like uh, six, seven months. Hopefully, I only have my my thesis left, basically. So that's the last big step to uh, get an education so I can be a real adult with a real job, or maybe just uh, take this to the next level. But um, I've been cycling my, my whole life, as people have here in Denmark, of course. My, I mean, most people, they even learn to, to bike before they can walk almost. But like, it really started when I started high school. I went to high school at a place called Rysenstein Gymnasium, which is located close to uh, the Komegin Central Station. So it was like a seven-kilometer bike ride in there, and because it was just like, it was the easiest, it was the cheapest and it was the fastest for me to get from Ponce out there seven kilometers. I just I just biked every day. And that kind of just opened up the world. Like there's no real like distance within Copenhagen. That's too far that I don't like bike it. Also because like when you go to high school, you don't have a lot of money. So that was a great way to, to saving a lot
0: of money. Did you learn biking before you even start walking?
1: I don't think I did, but it's just a, like a figure yeah, of yeah, speech, yeah. right? But I mean, we all here in Denmark, I guess, like have that memory of uh, one of our parents running behind us with like a stick on our bike. And like, it was definitely when I went to kindergarten. I mean, it's like, it's not far after that. You can walk, you get put on a bike with the first with the supporting wheels and then with the stick. And then like soon after you're just riding by yourself. It's very easy. Uh,
0: But you still learned biking when you were in a young age, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like any other. You don't remember when? No, not at all. I mean, not at all. But I remember I was in kindergarten. Okay, I mean that's early. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, some. People I don't know what's normal outside of Denmark, but I think that's pretty normal. That I guess that's pretty normal. Yeah. Tell me about your personal life goals. What do you want to achieve with, the, let's say, behind handlebars? That has been something that has been developing a lot over time. Uh, I'd say a couple of years back,
1: I could only see myself doing behind handlebars, and uh, that's mainly due to the fact that I love doing it so much. And when you love doing something uh, so much and you're so attached to it as you are, when you have your own project or your own company, like you want to do it all the time. So the only way that I could justify putting that much time and effort into it was that I'd have to live off it and make it into a living. And I couldn't even see myself like doing anything else than that. And um, that was nice to have that kind of goal ahead of me. But it also quite quickly turned into being a factor of stress because like then I'd have to attach it like my project is something that I started over four years ago when I just like had this idea that I wanted to take pictures from behind the handlebars of a bike and it was a hobby project I mean I'm not a photographer I'm not a social media expert or anything I just started because I love biking and I thought it was a fun idea right and suddenly like when I had this idea that I wanted to live off it and make it into a Suddenly, I had to like, focus on getting sales and actually like, developing the whole business part of it. And when you're not used to that, that was a bit stressful also because like, I'm only me. I'm just a solo founder, right? So sitting down and having all those thoughts by yourself was really, really stressful. But uh, I worked around with it a bit. And now I've had time to work like, on the business aspect of it a bit. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that if behind BehindHeadlebar is not going to be what I'm going to live off, that's fine as well because it's been one hell of a journey and no matter what i can leverage it into something like i'll find something i'll land on my feet i'm a person that i don't try to think too much ahead i think in my life i've only been able to like look half a year ahead instead of worrying too much about the future because i mean you can't really do anything about that so i'm very much in the moment just like feeling your way ahead in life and see where it takes you i have this picture in my mind that i very often used like as a guideline in my life or at least try to like and it's very uh, very related to, to behind handlebars it's like a road that just stretches into into the horizon and you can't see where it ends and there's no one on that road and like the symbolism of that is that like if you just keep your eyes on that road and keep pedaling to stay in the cycling metaphor you will eventually get to that point at the end of the road And uh, if you just stay focused, it's going to be all right. You will get there. Don't worry too much about it. And I think uh, that's something that I try to at least live off because otherwise you can spend your whole life like worrying about what you're going to do or what you're not going to do.
0: Could you call that uh, as a like, say, your personal principle of life?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I think that whole perspective, that that symbol of the road has developed after I've kind of like lived my life. So it wasn't something that I thought, okay, I'm going to live my life like that. It's something that I thought, okay, this is actually how I live my life. That suits pretty well with this like, metaphor. I've always been bad at looking too far ahead in the future. I've never wanted to do that. Like, I wanted to do what I, what I want now. For example, I studied like, a, a bachelor in, in Chinese, right? I mean, I am probably not going to use that ever. But at the time that I started studying, I thought, okay, this is really interesting. And I want to be that like, middleman between the Chinese and the Western world in politics and in business and diplomatic affairs. I thought that was really interesting. So I took that bachelor and I figured out, nah, I want to do something else. And then I'm doing something else. And I mean, if you just do what you do and you do it as good as you can, I believe that you're going to end up a place that you are going to be happy.
0: I mean, no, ma- no matter what do we do in life, the outcome has to be positive and you always get something out of it. Yeah. And um, while we are on this subject, mm. let's say, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, right? Let's no. say that behind handlebars doesn't work out, right? Yeah. What are the learnings that you will be getting out of this experience or, as you mentioned, the journey? I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, I think you,
1: there's a lot of like hard knowledge that you can take, like hard skills you can take with you because you have to do everything yourself. When you're sitting in a, like in a position at a company, you can always ask someone how to fix something or get someone to help you. But you're just facing so many problems that you have to solve yourself, or at least like, try to get started with when you have your own company. And that could be anything from doing your own marketing to doing your own accounting. So you have all of these skills, uh, problem-solving skills, I'd say. But the most important thing I'd say that any entrepreneur can take away is like you can do what you put your mind to. I think uh, a lot of people have those like, uh, hindering thoughts. There's a really clever way of putting like, those words in your head we just saying, oh, I can't do it. And oh, there's always these obstacles and obstacles. But when you're an entrepreneur, like you cannot have them because you have to find a solution. And I think that is something that is really valuable in any aspect of your life afterwards, whether that being in your own like personal life or in your professional life at a company. Just when you get a task, okay, I'll figure out a way of doing it. And there's no task that's too big or too
0: large. We'll find a way. It's like, um, I also have heard about it. There was a specific term for this. Limiting yeah. beliefs, that's what it was called. Now I just came up with it. <laughs> yeah. N- or excuses or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there is something that, you know, stops us from, um, or comfort. Could yeah. we solve it? Because I think I, I one day I read about it that comfort takes over their life and yeah. they don't want to do nothing because the comfort is the worst enemy for a human. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm very, I'm very divided by that debate. Like in the beginning, when I started to hear about it, I was all about just getting out of the comfort zone, just do it. Because that's like, all creators and businessmen, like they tell you to just get out of your comfort zone and do it, do it, do it. But like, when you think about it, do you want to be a person that lives outside of your comfort zone all the time? Because that means you're constantly not in comfort. So I think it's like, it's a balance that you have to find yourself about like wanting to challenge, but also wanting to stay in comfort, like. I don't think I'm going to be, be that kind of entrepreneur who says that the most important thing is to get out of your comfort zone. Sure, that's how you get the most done and you, like, you probably develop your company or your personal career the most. But I don't know if that makes you the happiest to just be outside of your comfort zone your whole life because that means you're basically never in balance. You're never relaxing. You're never comfortable. And I don't know because like, my personal aspect of my life is more important than my professional life. Like Talking about life goals again, I don't have any grand goals of like, if I can inspire someone along the way, that's great. But I just want to like, I want to feel good about my life and enjoy every day that I live. I just don't want to be like stuck up in some job, just living for the weekend, or living for the next holiday, taking all the way back to Monday. I like Mondays now because my whole week is good. Like I don't want to be that kind of guy that's like, oh, f- God damn it, it's, it's Monday again. I hate that because then there's five days to when I can really live my life. I think that's like, that's a really sad thought. And if you are an entrepreneur, I think you can luckily get away with that, like get around that a lot of the time because you create your own life, you create your own destiny and your own career. But that's a huge benefit.
0: Yeah, that's true. The thing that you said about to be in balance and getting out of your comfort zone, but still being in your comfort zone, I call it work-life balance. Yeah. Could it be that? I mean, yeah. But you have to have balance in your life and have balance in your work. So mm. the work doesn't take you off your life and your life doesn't take off your work. Yeah. So it's like...
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, it's a tough one, work-life balance, because I think it's very individual. And I think the ones that uh, inspire us the most, like an entrepreneur, that could, for example, be Gary Wee. Uh, I'm very much inspired by Casey Neistat, for example, a like YouTube creator. If you don't know him, you should definitely check him out. He's amazing. But those guys, like they are animals. They're just working 24-7 all the time. And when you're watching those, you can easily get like, that feeling of like, inadequacy. You're not good enough because you're not working as hard as them because they're setting off like, their personal life in the pursuit of a career. And that might be good for some periods of their life. But for example, taking a guy like Casey Neistat that has really matured, like he was one of the first like, real uh, original vloggers on YouTube. And he did like more than a year where he put out a video every single day, which was really, really high quality. And that inspired me a lot to start with my project. But seeing his life now when he moved to LA and he's much more settled down and he's reflective about that whole process, like that he's put his whole family aside there and his marriage almost fell apart. And like, there's a reason why the majority of people that work that hard for doing something that they at some point they stop doing it because they realize, okay, this is not good for me and this is not good for my family, this is not good for my like private life. So the work life balance is something you have to figure out yourself. And I think it's something that shifts like through your life. I can imagine, for example, if you are single and you just like that's the only thing that you have, you can just work all the time because like that's what you want to put your energy in. But as soon as you have family, for example, like your whole motivation, your priority shift and i think you should listen to that and not feel bad about not putting in 9 10 hours a day although that's something that i'd say entrepreneurs get taught to do like you should put in these hours and have 50 60 hour work week otherwise you're not doing good enough i think that's very individual in order for you to feel good uh, of course there is a correlation between how much effort you put in how much time you put in and how successful you are but it all comes with a cost and i think one should just be aware of that
0: what's the most important thing in your life oliver the most important thing I'd say my own well-being. Uh, I had a period where I was,
1: just before I started my, uh, my master's, where I worked part-time at a very, very busy restaurant in Copenhagen uh, doing some of the evenings. And then I did behind handlebars during the days. And then I renovated uh, my apartment at the same time. And one day I just like, I went down, I got stress, And uh, instantly the day after I had to quit the job because I knew something was wrong. Like I got beating hard and I couldn't concentrate and all those classical signs. And after being through that, like, I discovered that really early when I got the symptoms. So it went away, like, fairly quickly so I could live a normal life. I just had to be careful after that. But I think when you've been in a position where you feel vulnerable like that and not yourself, that's really scary. And that definitely changed something in me. Like, for example, I go out and get super drunk a lot less than I did before because I really appreciate now that I can get up and be myself in the morning. Because when I was diagnosed with stress, I had some experiences when I, for example, was driving a car and suddenly I just felt really bad. Like I felt dizzy and I just couldn't concentrate. And that's a horrible feeling. And when you feel like that, when you're not in control of your own body and your own mind, I think that changes something in you. So my own well-being, but I'm also going to say my girlfriend because that adds a lot of value in my life and a lot of balance. I can, I can put it in a, long of, a lot of long hours and uh, in behind handlebars. And then I have my girlfriend and my family to balance it out.
0: It's important that you have family and, and somebody and girlfriend in this yeah. case uh, that can, um, in a stressful situation, sort of help you in a moment when you are basically down mm. or you need this, you know, maybe support. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's also important personally for me and personally for every other entrepreneur is that to have also family and spend time with family because. Yeah. yeah.
1: It it could be a lot of different persons. I think it's important to have someone that you can just be really close to and talk about it, especially if you're feeling stressed about work or stressed about like any personal things, like talk to someone, talk to friends, talk to family. It helps. And uh, yeah, I can imagine, especially in the startup world, where you just are faced with a lot of dilemmas and stress and a lot of pressure from yourself and your surroundings. Have someone to talk to. Don't just sit in with it with yourself because that's when it really gets bad. But that's a classic uh, psychological tip for yep. you guys. <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. true.
0: <laughs> Tell me about what is your driving force of becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Um, actually, becoming an entrepreneur is not something I'd ever thought I'd
0: be, actually. And uh,
1: if Behind Handlebars is not going to succeed in like one or two years, I'm not that kind of entrepreneur to say, okay, I'm just going to do something new because that's not me. Like I'm, I'm in it with Behind Handlebars because it's my passion. So the whole entrepreneurial part of it came after that I had done Behind Heddlebars for more than two years. It had developed and I really worked hard on it and like creating a community on Instagram. And then I was fortunate to have a lot of good people to spare with. And then (laughs) it actually all came like as a total coincidence. Like I was working as a waiter at a cafe out in my hometown while I was doing my bachelor. And there was a friend of the owner's who asked me, Hey, uh, is it possible to like to to make one of your pictures into a poster that I can give to the to the owners of the cafe? And I said, sure. I mean, he was already working at a like a, a marketing print place, so he had all the equipment to do it. And I just sent him the files. And a couple of days later, he he came in with the posters and he showed me. And we were just like, okay, there's actually something there because my pictures are very like, for the listeners who haven't seen it, like they're very. It's always with the handlebars in the front and they're very symmetrical and I'd say eye pleasing as well. And that just really came to justice when you put it on a print on a big scale. That's when I thought, okay, there might be something here. Also, because I have taken so many pictures, so there could potentially be something very personal that an individual from Copenhagen could get behind handlebars picture from a street or place that has an individual kind of symbolism or meaning to that person. And that was kind of the business idea in, in the beginning, because I've taken like more than a thousand pictures in total. Basically, from every street in Copenhagen. So, if you live on a the street, there's a good chance that I've been there taking a picture and that would make sense for that person to get that picture on the wall. And uh, then it just started there. And I mean, then I thought, okay, why not just make a t shirt or why not make a hoodie with my logo on it? Because I've had a friend that before I like started doing entrepreneurship with Behind Handlebars, we talked about like creating a, a clothing brand and brainstormed about that and designs. So, at the back of my mind, I've always had that like, thought about having something with my own logo on. It would be pretty cool. And to see that on the street or see my friends in it would be cool. So I just made a batch of like 50 sustainable t-shirts from 100% organic fair trade cotton and sold it just to cover the costs to my friends. And that was great success. And then I made some more and then I made some hoodies. and like, So it's very much driven just by my heart and see where it takes me.
0: But it's important that whatever you do in business, that your heart and your passion lies on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's also my biggest problem, I'd say, because I think I'm driven too much by my heart and too little about like with my brain. I don't do any market research. Like, I think I've just got manufactured like 100 packs of uh, behind-handle bus bar tape, for example, because I thought it would be great. It would be a funny idea. And I could imagine that it would be popular, but I've sold five, right? So I'm just sitting here with, (laughs) with 95 rolls left of that. Uh, I'm not regretting it, but I'm just thinking that when you're so much into something and so passionate about a project that is basically just your own personal baby, you will lack some kind of like objectivism towards your project, which I think is absolutely necessary when you're an entrepreneur as well, because you have to be rational as well. And that's also why I'm not a good businessman. I'm not good at making money with this project because I just do whatever I want to do. And I love doing that and I'm like I'm not regretting it because I think it makes me happier than just like following money. I like making stuff that I personally like and doing events that I can personally put my like my name and my brand to that's adds value for me. But I'm not good not a good businessman.
0: <laughs> I mean after the photos I have seen your Instagram profile and also on your webpage, they mm. are vibrant, they are colorful and they are very eye pleasing as you mentioned yeah. before. So it's um have any other bigger publisher contacted you to use your photo, let's say in, I don't know, a newspaper cutout or a magazine cutout or, you know, a tourism guide? Or... Yeah,
1: that happens sometimes. Recently, there was a Spanish magazine called Ciclosfera, which is very big in Spain. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but that was like my picture made it as the front cover of that magazine. Just seeing on that Instagram page, like that they were tagged and like the magazines were laying all over shops around Spain. Like, I think there are more than 100 distribution points in, in Spain. That was surreal. And there's also a feature article in it, which I haven't read. But I mean, it happens because like it's a good story and my pictures are very coherent and there's a good story behind it. And if you are a cycling magazine, it totally makes sense to write about my project, I'd say. So also the Danish Cycling Association also wrote a piece about it at some
0: point. That's the thing. Yeah. So it,
1: it gets out there sometimes. And that's very flattering. Like the Spanish magazine was probably one of the most surreal I've seen just because there's a difference in being published in the magazine you could read and then something you cannot read at all. And just seeing your pictures there. That's That's a surreal feeling.: <laughs> It all takes time. Oliver. Yeah, yeah, it all yeah, takes absolutely. time.
0: Yeah, it does. But let's talk more about the uh, behind handlebars. yeah. So um, how did you come up with a realization that you want to motivate people to explore their surroundings on bike? I think it was actually like it was a series of different events that inspired me. like as I mentioned, I've always biked,
1: and I've also always used that as my means of transportation everywhere I go in Copenhagen. But the first, like, spark of Behind Handlebars was, like, when I was sitting, I think it was 2014, in my apartment at the time at Narpo. And it was, like, it was such good weather. It was just one of those perfect summer days. But it was summer holidays, so I didn't have any plans at all. And then I just thought, okay, why don't I just go to, like, see some of the places that tourists might go to see in Copenhagen, the places that you take for granted when you live in the city. So I decided to just go to The Little Mermaid and see that, and that was very underwhelming as uh, any uh, Copenhagener and Dane know. And then I went to a maiden Bowl and stopped there and actually took a look at it. And that experience of just like, instead of pedaling past it as you do when you live in a city, but stopping and actually like trying to have that feeling of wonder you have when you're a tourist visiting a city for the first time. That was a really great experience and I started just like whenever I needed a break or I needed time to think or just good weather, I would just like pull out a map and say, okay, today I'm just going here and see what's there. Like, I don't know. We'll go find out. Just writing for the purpose of writing and the purpose of exploring. But it would take, I'd say, another year before I actually started behind handlebars. I got this GoPro camera before I went to uh, summer school in Beijing through my, my studies. And I wanted to do these uh, vlogs from there, inspired by Casey Neistat again. Initially, I I thought that would be a fun thing to do. But making videos was, was not really me. But when I got back to Copenhagen, and I think especially like in contrast to Beijing, that's just like big and chaotic and warm and smelly and polluted. Just getting back here to cozy Copenhagen, where everything is small and convenient. Like, I really found out, okay, Copenhagen, that's something special. And we get around everywhere on bike. So at that point I had like I had the bike and I had Copenhagen and I had the camera. So I had these three components that I thought okay I want to do something with these and I wanted to like to use social media to communicate that message that we got something good going on here with the bike and and Copenhagen. And actually one night I was just going to sleep in 2015. I was just lying there trying to sleep and then this idea came to me this saying like Life behind bars that you say when you go to jail, I could like rework that into life behind handlebars. Instantly, when I came up with that, I knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take pictures from behind the handlebars of a bike and put up one picture every day. And like without any prior knowledge to like to Instagram at that point or like photography, I just the next day created the Instagram account and took a picture when I were on my commute here to Copenhagen Business School for Studies. And then I put it up and that picture is still on Instagram today and it's freaking horrible, but it's a part of the whole story. And then I just decided to do that every day.
0: That's where you began, Oliver, exactly. that's always going to be in your memory and it always has to stay on your Instagram page because that's where Behind Handlebars started.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to have that part of
0: it, Of course, of course. To look back and to realize, okay, so because, you know, for example, if we take, in this case, Apple, you know, there's still on the internet, there's a lot of internet photos of Steve Jobs and and his uh, co-founder Wozniak. Mm. And they're still there black and white. Yeah. Still in the garage. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like to remember where you started. Yeah. When you're gonna become into multi-billionaire company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to be authentic. Like sure.
1: Especially in these social media days. There's a lot of like when you delete a lot of pictures and a lot of your history online. Like I like the fact of like people if they want to, they can go back all the way to the start and see how it like how it began and how it developed. And I'm not hiding that aspect of my journey because I also think it's exactly a testimony to the journey that I've been on that my pictures now have turned into posters and they are in front of cover magazines and they are hanging around places in Copenhagen. But they started as just being like horrible pictures that I put up and edited in like on my phone on the Instagram app and then just swift it off. But like, that's the
0: good thing. You can just learn on the go if you're just persistent about it. The beauty of learning. Exactly. And the process. You know, the other day I found an article on denmark.dk, mm. but there being a lot of articles when you write uh, bicycle culture, mm. there are a lot of Denmark articles pops up or articles about Denmark because, you know, it's really popular, yeah. the cycling in this country. Yeah. And uh, the article I found with a headline called A Nation of Cyclists, mm. where they write, In Denmark, bicycle is one of the primary forms of transportation. Sunshine, rain, hail, snow you will see bicycles on their way to workshop or social events. The bike is a Dane's best friend. Maybe you could tell me why is that and why biking is so um, developed in Denmark.
1: Mm. I mean, why specifically that it has become as big as it is? I mean, I'm, I'm not old enough to tell that story because like, it's a culture that was here when I was born. But I, like, I can imagine personally that it's very closely related to the fact that Copenhagen is very small. So it really makes sense to just go from one part of the city to another on a bike. It's a lot harder in any other European city or in like an American city. So it makes sense that they don't have that developed biking culture there. I mean, how it specifically started, I, I have no idea. Um, we talked about earlier when we talked about bike culture, you and I, uh, you mentioned like it was a, like a sign of equality in Denmark. And freedom. Equality and freedom, yeah. And I like that so much because I think that is very true and that's what you really come to appreciate when you travel out and then get back you can see a CEO of a big bank riding alongside a mother with her two kids in a cargo bike right i think that's just absolutely beautiful and it's only possible because of the culture but also because we have government or municipality that actually like invests in the logistics of bicycle transportation and we think it's very important and i think it's only a good thing that it has become the brand of Copenhagen because it forces The government to just keep improving this and keep improving like the bicycling infrastructure. It's kind of a circle going around because like the more people that bike, the more willing the government is to invest in the infrastructure, and the more they invest, the more people bike. So it's kind of a a positive circle. But that circle can also easily be negative in any other city, like because the less that government, let's say like the municipality of Los Angeles, for example, they invest in infrastructure and that whole culture less people are going to bike, and the less they're going to bike, the less they're going to invest, because people are not going to use it. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing that it's working here, but it's also a thing that it has to come with the culture at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started somewhere, and, and, and I'm personally, me, myself, when I first came to this country, yeah. from a country where bicycle isn't popular yeah. still at this day, I mean, when I'm going there, I don't see so much bicycles no, on, no, no. A on the day on the road as I see here. Yeah. Eight o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock. Okay, six o'clock is less, but you know, when it's eight o'clock, it's the full. It's like Eight,
1: nine, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't, I've never been to a country and I don't think I ever will. Maybe Amsterdam, where there's a rush hour for bikes and you might risk not to make it over for the first green light. That is crazy. And I think that's something that we can really show to the outside world. And they will just drop their jaw when they see it. That's
0: true. Yeah. I mean, that's how I thought. I thought like, is it safe even to bike here? But I mean, apparently yes. I mean, yeah. you can get killed on bike road if you walk over yeah. the bike road. But you know, yeah. that's okay. Were you scared? I mean, the, in the first mo in the first moment, it was like when the first time I came. My friend was pulling me out of bike road because you know, in my country we don't have like a walking lane, bike yeah. roads, and then the road. Yeah. So I wasn't prepared for this. You know, shock that there should be also a bike that I have to look out. through. No. So. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's also healthy to bike and it's activity. Yeah. so Good for a lot of things.
1: Right. I mean, what I also figured out is that the bike can be used for much more than just being healthy or just getting you from A to B. And that is one of the core messages that I try to commute. Like I've arranged bike rides around Copenhagen and that's also like the foundation of the community I'm trying to like create online is that the bike can also be a tool to be social, be together with people or explore new places. Because especially here in Denmark, we really take the bike for granted, like in a sense that we use it all the time, but we only use it for uh, commuting or for exercise. It's very rare to get a day out just for the sake of having a bike ride on a Sunday, for example. And that's what I figured out. It's really, really difficult. And I think that's a shame because when we have this good infrastructure, it can be a really good medium to meet a lot of new people. For over a year, I had these bike rides called Sundays Behind Handlebars, which basically were just me inviting for a bike ride under the like kind of core values of Behind Handlebars, which is just to be together. The slowest sets the pace, and I'm deciding the route. Usually, I took the route past some of the things that I thought people should see or pay attention to or maybe was overlooked in the city. And it was really beautiful because a lot of people, like different people came by not a lot of people on the same rides which is all right because then we can get to talk but i've established like a good solid friend group around those bike rides like and that culminated by we were invited to a wedding this summer where like six of the guests at that wedding including myself and my girlfriend we've all met through these bike rides and become good friends just because of the bike rides i arranged in behind Halbys and i think that's a beautiful thing like that would we would never have met if it wasn't because of those bike rides where the whole Focus is just to get together and talk
0: and have some experiences together. I mean, I never thought from that aspect, but but when you lay yeah. it out like this beautifully, yes, I, I cannot not agree on this. Yeah. Since you're a Copenhagener, mm. you, know, you must know a lot of beautiful places, or as I call it, spectacular places, right? Yeah. What are the most spectacular places to cycle in Copenhagen? Oh, there are a lot of good
1: places, of course. Personal. Personally. Personally I like going to the cemeteries, actually. The non-Danes listeners uh, to this podcast might not know that we tend to enjoy our cemeteries like parks in Copenhagen, which is very weird when you get here for the first time. But it's very common to just go have a walk, have a picnic, and even a bike ride there. But if you go to some of the big cemeteries like Vestra Cemetery and Bispebjerg Cemetery, which is like a bit outside of the city center, it's often quite empty from people, but cemeteries are just neatly organized so you can just find these amazing symmetrical boulevards and especially in the summer or in the spring or in the fall, there's some crazy colors and you can have it almost for yourself. And I think that's just a great way to just go and explore that. So whenever I get to a new city in Denmark, I tend to always just like pop through a cemetery to see, okay, maybe there's like this beautiful boulevard with trees and like perfect for my photos. And then I of course have to emphasize Strandvein, the road leading from Copenhagen all the way up to Elsinore, which I think is just and all every other cyclist in Denmark, especially the ones that like do road cycling, they will probably agree with me. Like that's the way to go because it's right by the sea and it goes a bit up and down hills and through forest and like it's just really great. And you can make a distance that works. You can go up to Bellevue, go through the forest and see some deers, and then turn back, or you could go all the way up to Elsinore. So uh, I think that's my
0: my, my go to roads. I'd say Strandby is like. Uh... Scandinavian California. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It's like Venice Beach.
0: Dennis Danish Beach. Venice Beach. Yes. Wherever I look behind handlebars, right, I see that it started from passion. And then you also mentioned in the beginning. So I do have a question about, can your passion become a successful business, in your opinion? Like behind handlebars specifically? Yeah, in this case. Yeah, I'd say, why not? I think a lot of good ideas can be turned into
1: good businesses as well. And passion is just a great driving force to do that. Whether or not it's going to be, that's probably doubtful. Because the thing is with the passion that you want to do it all the time. And in order for you to do it all the time, you have to earn some money. And in my case, a lot of my activities that I do are not based around making money. There's a lot of time I spend on editing videos, photos. I do a lot of events, those kind of things. And I'm not really interested in doing any sales. So I kind of have to like put something together here and there in order for me to make a living, which is pretty far away from where I am right now. And that is the life of a startup. There are some tough years, and it's going to take a long, long time before you can take out a salary for yourself. That's how it is. But particularly in my case with Behind Handlebars, it's not a traditional business in that sense because it's very closely related to me as a person and what I have created online. So it has been difficult for me to get people involved, and I can imagine it would be even more difficult both to get like investors hooked on the idea, but also for me to like give up some of my freedom for money because most important thing about this is being true to myself and true to the people that have decided to follow the project and follow Behind Handlebars on different social media and coming out to the events. And um, I have not wanted to commercialize it too much, although that I probably could. So there's always like this, it's such a fine lining, fine balance between being commercial and being authentic on social media. And the people that I respect the most, for example, Casey Neistat, to refer to him again, they're very like see-through. They're very like authentic what they do. And they rarely do any like sponsored posts. And I respect that so much. And I think that's a big integrity move that you can use and leverage later in life, much more than if you just take some cheap offers from companies into sponsored posts, for example. So, I mean, realistically, if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd say, absolutely, this is what I'm going to live off. But now, when I'm realistic and I see, okay, I have to write my thesis now, and after that, I don't have my ESU, I don't have my like my backup money. I have to get a job. Something has to happen, otherwise, I can't pay my rent, right? So, but we'll see. I mean, I've also come to the point as I talked about where it's okay if it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be. I'm
0: sure I'm going to land on my feet and find an awesome job that behind handlebars can be used to leverage. I guess you will learn a lot from behind handlebars, and and if you're going to continue the same pace as you are with the photos and travel around, there will be, like, you know, we spoke about the Spanish magazine, there must be, and there will be bigger publishers yeah. that will want to put your photos because as personally me yeah i'm not a photographer and you are not a photographer but no. you have a natural talent for photography and putting the composition together so it looks pleasing for a viewer
1: yeah, yeah that's true that's true but and i say still passion is just it's really important like earlier as well we talked about this was it steve jobs who said if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life that's what i also want to mention yeah. now it's a beautiful quote like it's a really beautiful quote And I think it's true, like, you can easily go into work. And if it's something that you love doing, you love coming into work on a Monday, like I do right now. But I think it's also a dangerous quote, because you can easily identify yourself with this and put this kind of work-life balance up on a pedestal and think, okay, if I can't find a job where I feel like Steve Jobs feels about his job, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Because obviously, I'm not as happy as I can be. because. There is this utopian thing out in the past, like uh, out in the distance that it doesn't feel like working and I'm just going to be freaking happy all the time because I love my job so much. And in reality, I think it's very, very few people that feel that way. And that's all right. Like for some people, a job is also a means to an end and it's a means to do something else. So it's not necessarily a path for everyone, I'd say. I think it's a path for a lot of entrepreneurs because that's the driving force behind it. You should feel like this is what I love doing. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense to have the persistence to, to put in the efforts and the sweat and the tears to do it. But for a lot of people where they don't have that uh, those kind of aspirations, I think it can be dangerous to put that kind of notion up on a pedestal to think, okay, this is my dream job and I'm going to aim for having a job where I'm not feeling like working because
0: when you work for other people, you often feel like you are working because it's not your own idea. Yeah. And for those who didn't understand what we are talking about, as Oliver already mentioned, the Steve Jobs quote, Mm. you've got to find what you love. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to truly satisfy is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do a great work is to love what you do. Yeah, And that's also leads me to the next question. Yeah. Are you not afraid that If you're going to turn your passion into actual business, as you are currently trying to do, Mm. that you will lose the passion and it's going to turn into like a job. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And I think that was also something, like one of the core reasons that I've kind of went a bit away from that feeling of this is what it's going to be. If it's not going to be Iron handlebars, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Because I quickly discovered when I started working more business-ish with the Behind Handlebars project where I kind of was pushing more for sales and kind of turning it into a brand more than my project that I, like taking pictures, for example, and making videos, it uh, took up a smaller and smaller path of my my daily life and I didn't really want to. The pictures were just a means to keep this project going, but my main focus was creating a brand at some point. And I think I also realized at some point that, okay, I love doing this and it started out as just being a passion and a project I did because I I felt I had a message and it's something that I wanted to do. I don't have to turn it into something that it might not be, it might not, can never be. Maybe just let it be as it is and that's just going to be my personal project and that's also fine because I have to like what I'm doing. Because I think it's a development that you go through. And I think for all companies, like I read something about it as well just this morning, actually, like the bigger the organization grows, the more away from the owner's goals, the organization also grows, like the more different that's going to be. So I think it's it's going to be natural that what can start out as just being your, like, your child, your passion, even though you try to stay true, if you just develop an organization, you develop your startup get more people involved, maybe get investors involved that also have some requirements. I think your whole like view will change because you have to be more objective than subjective and you have to think more with your brain than your heart. And that just shifts that balance a little bit. It's not necessarily bad at all. I think you just you just have to be aware of it as an individual and what you're doing.
0: I mean, the passion and the business and the idea will never stay the same. We just, you know, I guess we're going to adapt to the market and the consumer will send what they want. Yeah. And we're going to try to, of course, perceive the message that we were trying to perceive in the beginning, but... Mm. It's gonna always change and we just have to understand that and that's it, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. We just have to be aware of it all. Yeah,
0: that's true. We cannot do anything. But you know, I do believe that uh backhand handlebar is gonna work out because you know I'm op- happy to hear that. after all the things that you say, yeah, I can still feel that you have passion for it and you have a dedication, yeah. you have this sparkle, yeah, and this fire in your eyes and willingness to achieve and yeah. you just keep doing what you're doing and just you know. But that's also why I'm quite confident about it, because even though that that I am
1: going to scale down on the, like, the entrepreneurship part of it, it's still going to be there. I mean, I still have the product. I still have that side of it. And I will always have the behind handlebars Instagram account, for example, which in reality gives me a lot of really, really great opportunities and experiences. And all the effort that I put into it, no matter how it turns out, if it's just going to stay a hobby uh, on the side of another full-time job, it's still going to be something
0: completely worth it and completely
1: worth my time afterwards as well.
0: And it's important to have a hobby so Mm. you don't kill off yourself with, you know, just working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have something else to kind of cheer yourself up, accept your friends, family and uh, Mm. loved ones. Yeah, yeah. But I do have two listener questions because of every show, also this show, have found some listeners who listens and also some questions for them. Great. And they do have some questions for you, Oliver, right now. Yes, hit me. So the first question would be, is there any mobile application for the cyclists which offers easy driving routes to see attractions, cool rides, and other stuff? I think I've
1: stumbled across a couple. I mean, the big one is, of course, uh, called Strava which is the biggest network for especially it's for running, but also for cycling. You can use it for finding routes, but that is more oriented towards like exercise that can be road biking, mountain biking, like active exercise. If it has to be more like on a commute urban exploration kind of basis, I think there's an app called List and Ride which I think they have routes as well, but it's also kind of the Airbnb of bikes where you can rent a bike when you get to a new city. I haven't tried it out. I was supposed to like work together with them at a trip in Berlin, but then I couldn't find the bike that I wanted and it didn't work out. So I still have that somewhere in the pipeline. And then I think there's something called Crocky App, which is just something like, it's a name I've stumbled upon on Instagram. And uh, I have, I've not used it, but it's C-R-O-G-G-Y App and um uh, i think that could also be something uh, related to to cycling at some point but there are a few like it's it's really blowing up
0: that like connecting cyclists so i'm sure there's something out there if you just look on the internet about it there must be something out there like, yeah. you know there's there's what thousands of apps yeah exactly. hundreds and thousands of apps yeah. so there should be something out there yeah Another question that another listener has it is, for the last couple of years, there have been emerging electrical bikes. And that's also a personal question for me, because I I haven't tried myself. No. Have you tried it yourself? And have you considered using them also, let's say, in behind handlebars as in a future implementation? I actually have an e-bike at the
1: moment. And if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd say I'd never have an e-bike because it's against my principles and, and all that and that and that. But it was also, it was coincidence that I got it. I was at a trade fair in Copenhagen in Aarhus, and there was a guy that called himself Mr. Jeff that has a brand called Waffa Bikes, and he makes these crazy like low rider electric bikes, and he makes them all by himself. And a couple of months ago, he just got in touch with me and said, hey, I have something that I think you should try out. It's a prototype. I want you to just test it out in Copenhagen and see how it feels. So I have that prototype of an e-bike that almost doesn't look like an e-bike at all. And I have to say, I, uh, I ride way more uh, on it than I'd be proud of. <laughs> but that's also because like, it's, um, it's limited to 25 kilometers an hour, which I think is good because I ride often between 25 and 30 kilometers an hour. So I still have to pedal. I still get that exercise. And even though he says that it can easily be adjusted to ride like 45, I think 25 is good because otherwise it would just be a scooter. And that, especially in Copenhagen, that defeats the whole purpose of it. Like it, it shouldn't be, then you could just as well get a scooter. But I think e-bikes are great. I think they are very enabling for a lot of people, especially older people, that they can still stay active and they can still stay mobile without being on a scooter. But also for people that live outside of Copenhagen, for example, outside of a given city that they work in, and instead of having a car they can have an e-bike and just make it a bit more bearable to get to work if you know you get a bit of assistance for that 20-kilometer bike ride or something. So I like it. I like it a lot. But I think the government should enforce that limit because it's too dangerous when people ride 45 kilometers on the bike path in rush hour. Too many people, and it's too high
0: speed. Like, it's faster than cars.
1: That's just ridiculous.
0: I mean, I'm not fan already about these electrical scooters when I'm no. biking. So, no, so they are horrible. That's a different story <laughs> for a different uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Oliver, I'm really enjoying talking to you. But before we kind of move into the last part, mm-hmm. you know, I would like to uh, recap, uh, do a small recap of what we have been speaking about and then who are you and what's your thoughts on and entrepreneurship and as well as, you know, some learnings. Mm-hmm. So, um, today we had Oliver Emil Anderson, the founder of a startup called Behind Handlebars. Oliver's goal is to inspire people around the world, bike and use it as a tool for exploration and pleasure in their life. Oliver is born and raised in Copenhagen. And three words as Oliver describes entrepreneurship were passion, disruption and perseverance. One thing that Oliver mentioned and it's true that, you know, it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur thanks to the information available. As you've been passionate biking and your passion is and business is uh, cycling, as you mentioned you learned biking in kindergarten as you know maybe you even learned biking before walking as you know a lot of other Danes. Uh, one of the Oliver's life principle is to have a road ahead and believing that you know at some point you can achieve that final uh, end of the road. Some important things for uh, Oliver were family and uh, girlfriend and uh, basically well-being. Remember to have one life, so don't fuck it up and uh, don't overwork yourself to death because that's not entrepreneurship anymore. Some of the inspirational sources of Oliver, Emil Anderson were and is still Casey Neistat and uh, I do also have followed him and he's truly inspiring creator and if some of you haven't heard yet about it you definitely have to go right now on YouTube, write Casey Neistat and just watch his content. Behind Handlebars, it started with uh, curiosity and uh, will to explore the surrounding as well as communicate the beauty of Copenhagen and other cities as you have been all around the world in this case. And. Uh, one thought that also Oliver said that biking is not only for getting from A to B or health but also as you have tried to create the socializing aspect of biking and it's truly it is yeah and um, you can notice in Copenhagen that you can be on a bike road together with a CEO or the, the president of some big bank and there could be also um, a mother with two childs so it's really truly amazing. And some of the places that Oliver mentioned that you have to consider if you ever travel to Copenhagen, you have to come and you have to visit some of the cemeteries. They are super clean, super friendly, and you can even have a picnic there with your friends, family, or loved ones. But right now, Oliver, I would like to ask you, as entrepreneur, and plus currently are studying as entrepreneur, what are the main key activities that you would recommend other entrepreneurs to invest their time in to succeed their goals? I'd say get a good network. I have been here at Copenhagen School of Entrepreneurship for a little more
1: than uh, one and a half years, I think. The time here has been amazing, not only socially, but also professionally. For example, like if you are a solo founder like me, it's absolutely crucial to have someone around you that you can talk to and feel like you are not just in it by yourself, grinding every day. So being able to sit here is great for me personally, but also professionally. Having a network of people that know so many different things, and that's the good thing about having a network of startups because there are people that are experts in fields that you would never knew existed, right? And being at Cooping School of Entrepreneurship, for example, being in any incubator as a startup is a good place to just pull some strings and just get uh, cash in a favor and give one back to the people around you. People need help and people want to help as well. And even if they cannot help, they probably know someone who can. So get a good network around you just for being social, but also for being professional. I'd say that's, that's important.
0: Yes, network is always important. So remember, if you want to achieve and get better entrepreneurship, get a network a mentor or somebody you can talk to yeah. in case of, you know, some problems and obstacles. Yeah. But right now, let's uh, share that sweet, sweet social links that you got those pretty amazing vibrant <laughs> photos in. <laughs> yeah. Where and how people can find you?
1: They can find it on Instagram. That's where I have the most of my pictures. It's just called Behind Handlebars. There's also a specific page for the posters called Behind Handlebars Posters. I have a website where the pictures can be bought and I've made uh, some different blogs and the events can be found there. It's uh, behindhandlebars.net. And then there's also behindhandlebars on Facebook and YouTube. And uh, I think uh, it can just be Googled and be found one of the first top hits. Otherwise, I'd have to get someone to sort out the, this SEO for me <laughs> if it's not one of the top links. But uh, yeah, go give it a follow on, on Instagram. That would be highly appreciated.
0: Definitely. If you are listening right now, please go on the uh, Behind Handlebars Instagram page. Check those sweet, vibrant photos of Oliver and uh, his uh, travels around the world. I think he also have been in Tokyo and in yeah. Uganda and yes. uh, North Korea. Yeah. So those are pretty sweet and nice photos. Uh-huh. And uh, remember also to press that follow button because, you know, we need supporters in our mission and journey. But right now, one more thing that I want to ask you before I say goodbye to you and the listeners is your experiences in the podcast. Tell me about it. Super good. I think it's a
1: great space, like, especially for me as a solo founder, just being able to talk about entrepreneurship in general and different struggles and thoughts that you have as an entrepreneur. It's a good network, and a good, like, good place to talk about it.
0: Now your soul is clean. Yeah, yeah and my soul is clean in the time that
1: uh, it flew by. So uh, right. and that's always a good thing, right?
0: <laughs> nice. Stories are important and that's what we're trying for. Those nice, sweet, inspiring stories for others and entrepreneurs to get inspired and us to tell you an advice and give some knowledge that we have gained. But I'll say thank you to you, Oliver. I'll say thank you to the listeners who listened and stay up till this minute. I hope that all of you got some great knowledge and uh, if you ever are in Copenhagen, contact Oliver Emil Anderson Behind Handlebars, the founder. Thanks for tuning in and I will say goodbye to you today. Bye.